I want you to imagine this. Uh, you're the owner of a business. Uh, you're, you're a Christian. But you discover that one of your employees who is not a Christian has stolen money from you and is no longer showing up for work. Uh, they're gone. Several months later, you receive a note from a dear Christian friend of yours living in another city. And your friend writes that your wayward employee has come to their city and has made contact with your friend. In fact, your employee is with your friend. Your friend informs you that they have led your employee to Christ, that your employee has become a Christian, and that your employee will be returning to your city. Your friend says that they will pay for whatever your employee has stolen from you and urges you to allow your employee to come back to work for you, to in fact Receive them back, not only as an employee, but as a brother or as a sister in Christ. What would you do? As this Christian business owner, what would you do? Continuing our series titled Outsiders, we are focusing on God's heart for marginalized people, overlooked individuals, and how God uses them in his overall plan of salvation. Onesimus is one of those people, not an employee working for a business owner, no, but a slave owned by his master. And what we will see is how God uses this first century slave, this outsider, to provide us with one of the most beautiful illustrations of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a demonstration of faith working through love. Before we begin our study of this letter I want to address first the institution of slavery. Uh, Dr. William Hendrickson, uh, doctor of theology from Princeton Theological Seminary, states in his commentary on Philemon, quote, no Christian should ever be afraid to condemn the curse of slavery. He has scripture, both Old and New Testament, on his side, end quote. And as Dr. Hendrickson alludes here, slavery is a curse. No matter the time period in history, no matter the culture, and liberal biblical scholars have leveled criticism against the Apostle Paul for not addressing head-on the institution of slavery in the Roman Empire in their day. 
And I say to the contrary. Paul makes his strongest argument against the institution of slavery right here in his letter to Philemon. Let's begin in verse 1. Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in characteristic fashion, Paul identifies himself as the author in his opening salutation of this short but very impactful letter. He identifies himself here as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul's letter to Philemon is one of the apostles' four prison epistles written during his first Roman imprisonment under house arrest for two years in Rome, dating around 61 to 63 A.D., and referenced in Acts 28, verses 30 to 31, where we read, Now Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. You know, the three other prison epistles are Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Philemon and Colossians being companion epistles, as we will see later. And notice, too, that Paul also mentions Timothy as being with him there in Rome. You see, this letter is addressed primarily to Philemon, along with Aphia, possibly Philemon's wife, and Archippus, possibly their son. And notice, too, that the letter is addressed to the church in your house. It's believed that Philemon may have been a wealthy businessman. In the city of Colossae of Asia Minor, some 300 or 100 miles east of Ephesus there in present-day Turkey. His home must have been large enough to host the church in his house. And as a wealthy businessman, he quite possibly would have owned several slaves, one of which was named Onesimus. And as we will see in his letter, Philemon provided support and encouragement to the church, to the Christians there in Colossae. And we will also see that Paul was a spiritual father to Philemon, quite possibly having come to faith through Paul's ministry. And Paul concludes his opening salutation here, extending his familiar blessing of grace and peace, the grace of God's unmerited favor and the resultant peace that comes about only through 
the reconciliation accomplished by Jesus' death on the cross. Continuing in this letter in verse 4, Paul would say, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Paul is expressing here his thankfulness to God of hearing of the demonstration of Philemon's faith in the Lord Jesus as demonstrated in the display of Philemon's love for his fellow believers. He prays an interesting prayer here. He prays for the effective fellowship of Philemon's faith by recognizing everything that is good in Philemon for the sake of Christ. You know, there's no room here for worm theology. A theology that says, I'm good for nothing. I cannot do anything. Because Paul stated over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And Paul also expresses here the joy and the comfort he derives out of knowing that Philemon is blessing the Christians there in Colossae. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ in John's gospel, the 13th chapter, in verses 34 and 35, there in the upper room on the night prior to his crucifixion, he would tell his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, perhaps the greatest testimony of the church is through loving one another. And it is through the love demonstrated between believers that the world will ultimately come to know who God really is. Continuing on in this letter in verse 8, Paul says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, Therefore, though I have enough confidence, excuse me, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul here begins his 
plea of persuasive argument with Philemon. Even though he recognizes that as, a, as an apostle, he, he, he has the authority to command Philemon to do what is right, to be obedient to the gospel. Paul leaves, though, the choice with Philemon. And Paul recognizes that love isn't love if it's forced or if it's commanded. Uh, Mentioning again that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Paul implies to Philemon that the sacrifice he is asking Philemon to make to do the right thing, to be obedient to the gospel, in no way compares with the sacrifices Paul is making himself for the sake of the gospel while under house arrest in Rome. Paul continues in verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Paul's plea on behalf of Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus, having stolen from his master, more than likely having stolen money that would be needed for making a long trip. Because Onesimus makes his way to Rome, where he meets up with Paul in his house arrest imprisonment. And in this encounter, Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus, who then puts his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Onesimus, as his spiritual son, whom he spiritually fathered in his Roman imprisonment. He points out that the slave owned by Philemon, who had stolen from Philemon, had fled from Philemon, and therefore had become useless to Philemon, had now become useful both to Paul and to Philemon. You know, Paul uses here a meaningful play on the name of this slave. Uh, This one who formerly had been an outsider, one who was outside of Jesus Christ, but had now become an insider, one who was now in Christ. The meaning of the name Onesimus is useful, profitable, or helpful. This one who was formerly useful to Philemon as his slave, but had become useless as a thief and as a runaway, had now become useful not only to Philemon, but to Paul as well. In Christ, Onesimus' usefulness would be in his having a new attitude and in his striving to please for the sake of Christ. In Christ, 
Onesimus would be enabled to more fully live up to his name, useful, useful. Paul continues his plea with Philemon. In verse 12, he says, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion but of your own free will. Rather than keeping Onesimus in the service of Paul for the gospel ministry there in Rome, Paul is sending him back to Philemon in Colossae. And note the term of endearment that Paul uses referring to Onesimus as my very heart, my very heart. You see, Onesimus had become a part of Paul and Paul had become a part of Onesimus. Think for a moment of that individual who led you to Christ and just how special that person will always be to you. You see, you and I as Christians have the same opportunity to be that special person in someone else's life in leading them to Christ. And for me, that special person in my life is seated right here on the front row, my wife who has been married to me for 43 years. Not only does Paul recognize Philemon's ownership of Onesimus as a slave, as his personal property, but Paul acknowledges the importance of Philemon exercising his own free will of accepting Onesimus back and forgiving his offenses against him. Paul can only encourage Philemon to consider doing the right thing out of obedience to the gospel. Now, earlier I referenced two of Paul's letters as companion letters, Philemon and Colossians. They are companion letters written by Paul at about the same time during his first Roman imprisonment. And as we read earlier, this letter addressed to Philemon, a resident of Colossae, was also addressed to the church that meets in your home. In some locales in the first century church, the early church would meet in homes during the week and come together on Sundays in larger settings like this to worship together. 
The letter Colossians was addressed to God's holy people in Colossae. Colossians is addressed to the Christians at large in the city of Colossae. A letter emphasizing love and forgiveness, directly addressing behavior of both slaves and masters and conduct toward outsiders. Both letters are delivered by Tychicus, whom Paul describes in Colossians chapter 4 and in verse 7 as a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. But Paul would go on in verse 9 in Colossians 4, stating, He, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Onesimus, therefore, accompanies Tychicus in delivering these two letters to the believers in Colossae, making Paul's tactful persuasion even more difficult for Philemon to ignore doing the right thing of gospel obedience. Continuing on this letter in verse 15, Paul says, For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Paul poses here the possibility that maybe this time of separation between Philemon and Onesimus may be for the very purpose of Philemon accepting him back, no longer as his slave. In fact, more than a slave, accepting him back as a beloved brother in Christ. And Paul here also acknowledges the master and slave earthly relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, as well as the relationship between them as spiritual brothers. And in the same manner that Philemon accepts Paul as a partner in ministry, Paul encourages Philemon to likewise accept Onesimus in the same manner. And note here Paul's use of the word brother, not in a biological sense, but in a spiritual sense. He uses the word five times within these 25 verses in this letter. Paul's use of the term conveys his sense of love, esteem, and trust. 
and its importance cannot be overstated. Philemon was separated for a short time from a slave, but joined forever to a brother. Paul would go on in his persuasive argument in verse 18 stating, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. In one of the most beautiful illustrations of the gospel, Paul offers to pay restitution for anything that Onesimus has stolen from Philemon. It says, if Paul here is signing a promissory note to reconcile Onesimus' account with Philemon, to clear Onesimus' account, that relationship might be restored. Paul also alludes to what Philemon in a spiritual sense owes to Paul in the fact that Philemon apparently came to faith through the ministry of the apostle Paul. Again, this is such a beautiful illustration of the gospel because it depicts so clearly what God did for us through Jesus Christ. Paul speaks here in accounting terminology of monetarily paying for whatever Onesimus owes to Philemon for for whatever he stole. Reconciliation is an accounting term whereby accountants ensure correct balances between accounts. And because you and I are born sinners, spiritually, you and I come into this world with a deficit balance in our relationship with God. And like Paul in this illustration, Jesus offered to reconcile your relationship with God by dying on a cross, paying for a penalty that you could not pay for yourself. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 22 concerning this, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. It is only through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that you and I can be reconciled to God and have relationship restored with him. Paul goes on to say, yes, brother, in verse 20, let me benefit from you in the Lord Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. 
Paul is pleading for Philemon to do the right thing, to be obedient to the gospel, and that by doing so, he will refresh Paul's heart in Christ in the same manner that Philemon has refreshed the hearts of believers there in Colossae, as previously stated in verse 7. In his plea, Paul affirms Philemon's obedience to the gospel. But notice what Paul says in verse 22. He says, at the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Here Paul adds to his compelling argument for Philemon to do the right thing, to gospel obedience. Not only does Paul anticipate being released from his house arrest in Rome, but he also anticipates traveling to Colossae, perhaps even staying in Philemon's house. It would be extremely difficult for Philemon to not do the right thing in being obedient to the gospel. Paul concludes his letter to Philemon in verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In so characteristic fashion, Paul concludes his letter with his characteristic closing salutation. And as we close here today, again, I want to quote Dr. William Hendrickson who says, quote, What Paul teaches, not only in his letter to Philemon, but also elsewhere, is that love, coming from both sides, master and slaves, is the only solution. This love is the response of God's love for his child. Whether that child be black or white, bond or free, makes no difference. It is the love of God which melts cruelty into kindness and in so doing changes despots into kind employers, slaves into willing servants, and all who accept it into brothers in Christ. The kingship or rule of God works from within outward, not without inward. The truth of the gospel will do far more to solve social questions than any number of weapons. End quote. And though we don't know Philemon's ultimate decision and the resulting outcome 
of that decision. We do know what faith working through love looks like. We have seen how God used an outsider turned insider, a slave turned brother, a thief turned fellow servant, one who was useless turned into one who became useful to help us more clearly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps you're here today as an outsider, one who is outside of Jesus Christ, as Onesimus once was. Perhaps you're here running from your past, running from yourself, running from God. Like Onesimus, God cares for you, the outsider, and calls you to become an insider, to be reconciled to God by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul challenged Philemon to do the right thing, to be obedient to the gospel. And God challenges you to do the same. Will you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we are so thankful for the words of Paul here under the inspiration of your spirit writing with his very own hand. As he addresses the issues of love and forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we have seen here today, Father, what faith working through love looks like. We pray, Father, that as you called Philemon to gospel obedience, that each one of us would answer that call to gospel obedience as well. All to the praise and glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.